0: You're listening to the cxmh podcast cxmh is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health <laughs> kids in the
1: background yes
2: you, i was just thinking oh my gosh you probably can hear them right now
1: <laughs> hey welcome back to the show my name is robert vore and i'm joined by the whole oxhandler family, uh particularly dr holly oxhandler Holly, how are Aww, you
2: today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Robert?
1: I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I love it. It sounds like they're having fun.
2: They are. They are. Thankfully, it is um, sounds of joy and not <laughs> the alternative right now. But yeah. this is, yeah. yeah, it's where we are. But yeah, we're doing good. You and Brooke and Gray are doing well, too?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, you know, through uh, the past the Thanksgiving week, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, You know, I don't. It's one of those weird things that holidays that are, you know, people like them and they get together and all that. But also, there's all this pressure on them, which obviously this year look. You know, this year is wrapped up. Everything comes with like extra layers of things. Right, right. You know, sometimes it feels weird to say like, "Oh, good, we're past a a holiday." When you're like, "But I like that holiday." Yeah. Also, we're past the holiday.
2: Yeah.
1: And fully into uh, Christmas season, which we've talked about how much I I love. Me
2: too. Me too.
1: Well, I know. uh, I know. Uh, last time we did an intro, which was which would be, I guess, two weeks ish ago. Uh-huh. Uh, for folks listening, I uh, in the middle of the conversation said, "Ooh, I just thought of my next." question I was for wondering.
2: You. I was wondering and if I it's coming back. I wrote it down back. on a
1: piece of paper <gasps> and I left it on uh, this desk here. And then uh, this week I was cleaning up, and it was you know it was just kind of a scratch paper that had other things on it, and I threw it away. So oh, I do not know what it was. I just have to own up to it.
2: That's okay. That is totally okay. <laughs>
1: oh. Now, I have to try and think of a question.
2: Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. While you're thinking save me of one, save me. you are, yeah, whatever I can do. Okay, so. Advent is something that in our family we have practiced. I mean, I our listeners, I think they have heard at some point where I've talked about how I grew up in a Catholic tradition and even now, you know, still practice Advent with our kids, you know, with all, with the candles and with the prayers, you know, and and having a word a week. What but I'm curious about you and Brooke. Do y'all do y'all practice Advent? Is there, you know, do you have some of those rituals or practices that you do or that you're doing with Gray now as he's kind of growing up? Or are there other things? I don't know.
1: (laughs) No, what's funny is it's going to fall into uh, the same kind of response that I think a lot of these questions do when you ask me about traditions, which is Hmm. that we don't really have any yet. And I think part of that is like, Having such a a young child, right? Right. Like now yeah. we're starting to think about what do we want our family traditions to be, as opposed to the you know the last handful of years of marriage. We've lived in different places and done different things, and so I think something about having kids makes you kind of think through like, oh, do we want to have traditions? Like, what do we want this time mm-hmm. to be? And, things like that. And so, uh, we've been having a lot of those discussions this year around kind of Christmas and Christmas time and things like that. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting because, you know, I, I grew up going to a Catholic church as well. And so mm. have kind of that, like when I think of Advent, I think of the, the wreath with the four candles. Uh-huh. and whatnot. Brooke obviously like grew up in a, a different denominational thing. And so it does not have that image in mind mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know, it's, it'll be interesting to kind of have those conversations and particularly yeah. about Advent. Like that's just never something that I've like thought a bunch about mm-hmm. as like a season.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I don't know. It'll be interesting.
2: Yeah, that's good. Well, and I think, I mean, I I totally understand because I mean, it's been kind of the same with us. Callie is obviously, Callie and Oliver are a little bit older than Gray. And so we've had a little bit more time to start to build some of those Little rituals and traditions as a family, and discern what from our, you know, background or or childhood or whatever do we want to carry into our family together? Knowing that Corey and I both came from different backgrounds as well, but yeah, it's been interesting, like bringing this in to our our family and and seeing how the kids are responding to it and you know, this week, the, well, the week that we're recording this, the the word is hope. And so, you know, just thinking about how we're integrating this word and practicing and talking about it as a family. And it's just been, I don't know, it's been interesting. So yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. Be, be curious how y'all, if you do or what that looks like, if our listeners are, you know, if y'all are doing anything specific to Advent, we'd love to hear what y'all are doing or if there's any books or I know I'm starting to read Scott Erickson's, his Advent uh, book right now for the season, mm. but I'd love to hear, you know, what others are doing through this season. So, yeah. Well, how about, do you want to tell us about this week's episode and our guest?
1: yeah, and I will even tell you about this episode. Because I'm, I I know one that you could not be there for the recording of, which is fine. that happens.
2: That's yeah. happened on
1: both sides, you know, so um, yes. I do think it's funny that every time you end up kind of missing one, it's always a social worker. which
2: I know' I think is ah, very funny I know. man, such a bummer. Well, in this one, I mean, I love this person who has come on. I mean, I've been able to connect with her on social media, and so I was super bummed to miss this. But I am excited to get to listen through it along with our listeners soon. So,
1: Well, this week we get to talk with my boss, Alexandra Thompson, who's a social worker and is the director of counseling at the counseling center that I work at, um, who hired me, and I think we mentioned this in the show, actually, because she listened to this show, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty funny. But we talk about the bridging of church and like what the responsibility of churches is in regards to their community's mental health. Based on kind of the way that she's approaching like how she's kind of branching out this, this counseling center um, mm. and things like that. And mm-hmm. so like why, what is the church's responsibility in caring for mental health needs? In a community and kind of what that looks like. And then we also get in some into her own story and her backstory, which if you follow her on social media, you know, has a lot of infertility in it and adoption and stuff like that. And so we hear some Mm -hmm. of her and her husband's story. And I mean, I just love their family. Obviously, um, her and I interact quite a bit. Um, and so it's one of those where I know a lot about the person. And so there's like a million questions that I mm-hmm. want to ask. And also while recognizing that our audience doesn't know all of that. so Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great. I love her to death and was so excited to have her on. I know she was really pumped about it because like I said, she's known about it since well before she hired me, and mm-hmm.
2: so yeah, I think it was it was fun. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this one.
1: Well, we will go ahead and transition in to this uh, our conversation with Alex Thompson, and enjoy. Enjoy, y'all. All right, today we are so excited to be joined by Alexandra Thompson. She is a licensed clinical social worker, also the director of Cumberland Counseling Services, a counseling practice inside of Cumberland Community Church, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Her mission is to integrate clinical counseling centers into every church in America. So no, you know, just a small thing there, making caring for mental health synonymous with being the church. She believes that our mental health is the foundation of how we view ourselves and the world around us, including how we relate to God, and therefore providing mental health care should be a regular component to church ministry. In addition, Alex and her husband have huge hearts for adoption advocacy, and they have a beautiful baby boy named Anders, whom they adopted at five days old. Anders is not even really a baby anymore, Mm -hmm. but Alex, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
0: Hi, Robert. It is so cool to be here today, and I'm doing great. And you're right, Anders is not a baby anymore. He's going to be two on December 1st.
1: Gosh, yeah. I should uh, mention in case folks are like, how do you know that, right? You and I obviously know each other pretty well. We uh, technically, you are my boss. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, I consider you a dear friend. Uh, we've known each other for a little bit now. And so uh, that's I feel like I should throw all that out there. But yeah, glad to have you on. I know we've talked about you coming on the show for, for a while now. So it's exciting to, to have you here.
0: It is so exciting to be here. And let me just can I tell a little quick story, Robert Vor.
1: Of course. Yeah. Okay.
0: Because you said technically I'm your boss, but listen to this. Okay. So this is our story. I met Robert Vore through listening to this podcast because several, (laughs) several years ago I was putting together a workshop called faith and mental wellness. And I needed as many, you know, pieces of information, as many people who are kind of already working in this field to back me up and to, su- and to support me. And I actually remember <laughs> putting your name, Robert Vohr, on a slide for, for one of those uh, classes that I taught, Faith and Mental Wellness, and literally yeah. quoted you, like had an entire paragraph with Robert Vohr at the bottom quoted from one of your podcasts. And now yeah. we work together. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, well, hopefully it was a good quote. I have no idea. Um, But I remember getting an email from you saying, hey, I listened to the I listened to this podcast and I'm also in Atlanta and we have similar passions. So like, let's grab coffee. And that was back, you know, obviously when people could grab coffee. Um, And so we did and here we are years later. So yeah. uh, super cool to have you on not as my boss, but as someone who just is an awesome advocate for the, the intersection and the overlap of faith and mental health. So, Aww. you know, kind of to, to kick us off here, right? Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your, your background, your, your backstory? Primarily, right? Like, why is mental health so important to you, especially kind of integration of, of faith, right? Like, why? How did you end up at this intersection?
0: Yeah, that is such a good question. So I started actually volunteering for the church. I had just moved back. I was in a job that I didn't totally love because all I was doing really was diagnosing folks in a very, very like clinical hospital type setting. And at the time, wasn't really doing what I was trained to do and wasn't doing my heart's work, which was therapy. And so I was kind of brand new to this church, Cumberland Community Church in Smyrna, and reached out to their leadership and said, hey, I know that you don't know me very well, but I'm a therapist and I've been doing therapy you know, since 2011. I guess at this point it was maybe 2016, something like that. Um, and I'm not really doing it, but I would love to be able to offer my services for free to your community. Does anyone come to mind? You know, like, Do you have anyone that I could just sort of take off your hands? And they laughed at me. And said, Yeah. <laughs> they, they they were like, Yeah, here's five people that you can start working with right now. And I said, Okay, great, I would love that. So I just kind of grassroots on a naked round table with like church chairs, you know, just on a naked table. Right. Started doing therapy with folks. And of course created an informed consent form and a intake form because it needed to be, you know, very ethical and legal and all of that. But I didn't right. charge. And I just remember uh, the Pastor, at the time was leaving for the day, so he was done with his day, and I was beginning my volunteer, like working with clients day and we passed like ships in the night in the doorway, and as we were passing, he grabbed my wrist and he looked me dead in the eye and i I swear in the moment I thought that i had I had done something wrong, or that you know one of my clients at the <laughs> right. time you know told him a story of how I mucked everything up or something. And he said, Alex, John told me that you've been meeting with him and his name is not John. And he said, Alex, right. Alex, he told me that you saved his life. And it was like staring daggers at me kind of a moment. And I remember uh, I'm an easy crier. I remember not crying because I took that so extremely seriously, what he said. And just thinking about the the powerfulness of... A church willing to bring someone on, bring someone in who's a professional, who's skilled and trained, who knows what she's doing, bring them inside the walls of the church, and and do this well and do this ethically. And this man's life was actually saved through that. So it was kind of like a miracle, firework moment of we gotta we gotta figure something out because this is extremely important that it's happening within the safety of the walls of of our own churches.
1: Yeah. So what I, what I love about that, other than like it it shows, I think, so much of your heart that you were willing to say like, hey, I, I want to do this, I'll do it for free, right? Yeah. Is that there's something so interesting about that, because I think a lot of churches would, you know, if I'm assuming if they're listening to this show, right, we're not maybe starting at the ground level of like, we need to convince you that mental health is real and whatnot, right? right. But for a lot of folks, they say like, okay, we're trying to figure out kind of how to address this, we kind of see that there this is a thing. But we don't, we can't afford to hire someone on or, uh, you know, we were trying to find good referral sources, but it's so hard to get people in, you know, and I mean, there's waiting lists all over the place and whatnot, right? And that's Mm -hmm. probably a bigger conversation. Mm -hmm. But you were saying, hey, I'll, I'll do this for free, right? Like, can I just step in? And I know so many folks in the mental health field who say, like, I would love to be able to do that. But the mental health field being what it is, like, I just don't have the time or the capacity or the financial means, right? And so the fact that you could do that is so kind of unique, but obviously led to something even beyond that.
0: Absolutely. And to be very clear, because you make a very good point, I had a full-time job. I did not have kids at the time. I was married and I was young, right? So I could work all day and then work into the evening. It was just that kind of lifestyle that I had. I would yeah. never I would never say that all therapists if you have a relationship with your church that you should be giving everything away for free. You can't do that. You've got to put, you know, food on your table. But yeah, I just I think that integration is so extremely important, especially now coming out of COVID. I mean, we are about to experience another pandemic and it is going to be a mental health pandemic from all of this mm. that we've experienced. Yeah. And like you said, so many churches that I've been speaking with lately, so many of them have said, you know, this this is exactly what we've been needing to hear. You know, kind of this this idea of integrating mental health into the walls of the church. We've been needing to hear something like this. In fact, we've been actually kind of toying with wh- what we could do to make this a little bit To make this happen, like to make this more easily accessible to our church members, we just have no idea where to start. But it does seem, like you said, to your point that churches are really starting to see the importance and the impact of having someone on staff or somebody very close in their community who can provide mental health care, both to their church community and their surrounding community.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you, right, like in an email to me when we were going back and forth about what, you, what we were going to talk about and things like that, right? You mentioned this phrase, you, said, you mentioned wanting to talk about what the church's responsibility is in caring for the mental health needs of the community, right? Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting as someone who obviously like both of us uh, by profession like pick up on kind of language things, but the use of the word responsibility – is interesting because it's not just, you know, what the church's opportunity is in caring right. for, which I think obviously that that is also there, but you use the word responsibility, which is kind of indicative of like, this is something that we need to be doing. Like It's part of what what is yours to, to do for people, right? So what do you mean by that, right? Like, what is the church's responsibility mm-hmm. in caring for the mental health needs of the community?
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you picked up on that. Uh, Can I get a raise? Yeah, here you go. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> The responsibility. Well, it kind of comes out of this, and you mentioned this, I think, uh, briefly when you were sharing my bio right at the beginning. But something that I wholeheartedly believe is that our mental health is the foundation of how we view everything. It's the foundation for how we view ourselves, the world around us, uh, even God, how we understand him, how we relate to him. If our mental health, I truly believe this, is – wounded or sick if it's if we are not healthy in that capacity, or let's even just say maybe we've grown up and all our lives or the majority of our lives, or maybe even just in our childhood, we had someone in our life tell us lies about who we are, about who mm-hmm. God is, about who other people are, but we believed them as truth because maybe that person was wounded and also believed it to be true, then how can we expect that a room full of people trying to understand the gospel, trying to understand who Jesus is, how can we expect that they're all going to understand him in the same way? They might have had a very shaming father figure or shaming parent figure, or maybe they had that important parent figure in their life you know, speak to them in, a, in an extremely judgmental way or something like that. I mean, how could we not view yeah. this parental figure in that same way if we've been hurt by someone who was supposed to protect us for so long so i believe that it's because our our foundation it's because the foundation truly of how we view everything i absolutely believe that caring for the mental health of our community should be synonymous with being the church in fact a little like visual or you know something that i kind of, that comes to my mind when i speak on this topic is you know if somebody were to come to any of us who belong to a church, uh, maybe they just moved to town or maybe they you know, just became a believer or something like that. If they come to any of us who's a member of a church and say, hey, I know that you go to this church down the street. I might be coming by. Do you happen to know if your church has anything like for youth? Does your church do anything for kids and, and young people? Do you have any kind of youth group? I think if someone were yeah. to ask us that, all of us would furrow our brow and be like, yeah, because we're the church. Of course we have something for youth. We care about meeting people at their foundational level. And we want we want a person to experience the majority of their lives, knowing who Jesus is and what, you know, who he says you are and who he says he is. We want the majority of a of a person's life for them to have that kind of relationship and understanding. We don't want them to be Older adults and just finding this beautiful, you know, peaceful, truthful reality out. Then, I think the same thing is what could happen in the next ten to fifteen years with what we're trying to do with this with this model that we've created with integrating clinical counseling centers into churches. I'm hoping that this is a spirit led um, image that in ten to fifteen years somebody would come to us who go to a church and would say does your church do anything like for mental health? Do you guys have any kind of clinical counseling center inside your church? And I believe that we will then wrinkle our brows and say, yeah, because we're the church and we care about you at your foundational level, um, whether you know Jesus yet or not. And we care about whether you live or die. So yes, absolutely. We have something here to take care of your mental health needs. And that's that i mean i don't know if that even speaks to it all the way but that's the responsibility that's how important it is i believe that the church takes this up and carries it for our communities really
1: yeah yeah i love i love that idea right i often think like if we if if we say like hey these faith communities these churches are in the business of offering hope and healing right. then we have to kind of be holistic about that right and so i i love that I also love, I don't don't know how to phrase this in a question, but so you obviously believe that that's the church's responsibility and they have a role to play there, but also in clinical like training and excellence and people that do that that really well and have a, a particular set of skills and knowledge and training, right? Not just like, okay, well, talk about mental health in all your whatever, like have all your staff people just start doing quote unquote counseling or whatever, right? Why is that side of it so important as well?
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm not so much talking about I mean the pastoral care is also very important and being able to speak in a healthy way and in an accurate way from the pulpit about mental health is also very important. But you're right. Yes, we're talking about actually having licensed, you know, in that state professionally trained therapists to be able to care for the mind and the emotional uh, well-being of the community. That's that's what we're looking at and in fact yeah you know about a year and a half ago and i think robert you might even remember this cuz i would be kind of out in the community a little bit but about a year and a half ago we surveyed our community of Smyrna, both affluent. I do
1: remember that. It was every Tuesday, right? Yeah. You weren't in the office every Tuesday because you were out doing these surveys.
0: (laughs) I was out in front of Kroger and in front of the post office because, and I would say, hey, do you have five minutes to take this survey on this piece of paper with this pen? You know, and most people would go like, get away from me, but a lot of people would. And so we got a great sample size both of affluent uh, members of our community and lower income members. Believers were assuming, unbelievers were assuming, because that wasn't something that we cared to ask about at the time. And what we found as a result of the survey was that like spanning the community, the number one place that a person will go to in times of trouble if they need help if they need guidance, if they need money, food, clothing, shelter, the number one place a family will go to in times of trouble is the church. And anyone who has ever worked at a church knows that that's true (laughs) because we get people who come to the church all the time. And then on on that same survey of a list of about 12 entities, the second to the last thing on that list that people in our community felt like they had easily or or easy access to or knew where to go or where to even start to get access for this kind of care was mental health Uh, of 12. It was almost the last. So here we have from our community, from all different kinds of, you know, um, people of all different walks of life in our community, the number one place they would go to for care is the church. Almost the last place that they knew where to go to for care was for mental health care. And my goodness, yeah. in the south there's a church on every corner. I mean, if we put clinical counseling centers, you know, in churches and made it that easily accessible, then that that disparity, that gap could surely go away. And it's a beautiful, yeah. like the idea of having a clinical counseling center inside the church is a beautiful bridge, I would say, and I kind of hate to put it this way, but bridge to the secular world, because having a clinical counseling center inside the church is not just open for the church members. It's open for anyone and everyone in the community. And so from our little surveys that we've done with the counseling center, we can see now that the majority of our clients do not go to the church that we're housed in. And several of them don't even know Jesus yet but they're still walking into the church, seeing that the church is trauma-informed, seeing that the church is safe, seeing that the church uh, cares about you regardless of where you are in your faith journey right now. Like That's an incredible thing, and that is what the church absolutely should be doing. We should be bridging ourselves between our very non-secular you know, world and life and worldview and language, bridging that with the secular world and saying, "Come inside our house and get care, no matter where you are in your faith journey."
1: Yeah, so that's interesting, right? Because there is kind of this dichotomy, and you—you you obviously serve in a very interesting role. So we've talked with folks before on the show that are maybe a, like a singular counselor on a church staff, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, but you serve as. Uh, and and you can correct me uh, in my kind of terminology, right, but essentially kind of this like liaison between a church who hired you and said, hey, here's like this space and whatnot, start a, a clinical counseling center yeah. and a counseling center that functions largely on its own. And what I mean by that is like, I interact primarily with you, right? Like I don't go to to church staff meetings and things. Obviously you've said I'm like invited if I want to, Mm -hmm. right? But so there's no, uh, there isn't like a pressure of, you know, meet this thing for the church or whatever, right? Like it does function as kind of what you would say, like a clinical counseling center, Mm -hmm. right? That you might picture functioning anywhere else. Can you talk about some of kind of the interesting benefits? And I think you just touched on some of those, but then also like challenges of that setup. Like, is yeah. there a tension there that you kind of have to, to navigate?
0: Yes, definitely. And I think there always will be, and that's okay. Like, I think it's just kind of the image of life <laughs> in a way, a life as a Christian maybe. Um, yeah, I would say the benefits are all those things that I kind of just described that we have this beautiful, powerful, professional but also ministry that we get to offer to everyone in our community who needs mental health care. And that, that's truly an incredible benefit. And then we also, um, you know, the church, this particular church does tons and tons of stuff with the community at large anyway. So we get to, and you've, I think, taken part in some of these. I know some of the other counselors have taken part in some of these, but having this liaison position, like, which is basically my position here, Means that the church has easy access to a professional trainer, like when, you know, at their fingertips, like whenever they need something. So I remember, sort of right towards the beginning of our partnership, the church reached out and said, uh, well, and shared with me, and this is pretty tragic, but shared with me that a family, a youth group family, had just lost their father to suicide. And Mm -hmm. and it was and it obviously devastated the family. It devastated the youth group, the church. It devastated all the leaders, and they were kind of stuck, like in this. We have no idea what to say to the family. We don't know how to adequately care for them. We feel like everything we're saying scripturally um, is just kind of coming out trite, you know. And so they brought me in, and I was able to do a training for the entire leadership team, even all the volunteers. And was able to sort of train them on what to say and what not to say when a family is grieving, period, and particularly when a family is grieving this kind of loss. And then there's been lots of other trainings like that. But what I'm saying is like, you know, the church and the community has someone at their fingertips in that liaison position to be able to provide care and mental health care, mental health training. Kind of at a moment's notice when they when they need something. and that's really important in order for our church to become more trauma informed as we move forward in our future. But I will definitely say that, um, so that was kind of the benefits, but some of the not so great stuff that we have to that we've really worked very, very hard at with this particular church, is the confidentiality stuff. And I think if you're a therapist on, you know, listening to this, that's probably where your mind went to immediately. Like, well, how do you separate? You know, you have to have really good boundaries. Mm-hmm. What about confidentiality? Absolutely. We have had to deal with that kind of stuff. Because, and particularly if you go to a church that has a pastor that loves a really juicy pulpit story, if you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We have had to have lots and lots of conversations about how stories do not belong to you unless you have permission from the one who owns the story. Right. So yeah. I would often have pastors come to me and say, I know I know John, you know, started seeking treatment through you because I literally referred him to you and, and, and you know, put you guys on the like I was copied on the email, that very first initial email how are things going cuz i know that he started with you because he had this you know delusional idea or whatever and i would have to cut that off you know right at the right at the foundation and say listen i cannot actually right. confirm or deny that i have ever met with this person i'm i'm appreciative that you linked us via email but i can't say anything other than thank you for the email you know
1: and right, and that's right. really
0: hard, I think, for churches who, who love that good pulpit story because they would love to be able to say, look at the redemption that came from this person's story and then they started meeting with a the therapist. Right. And, right. and so that's definitely, that can get tricky sometimes, but that just requires really good education from the liaison position.
1: Yeah, yeah so if I'm like a you know a ministry leader or, or a faith leader of some sort and I'm listening or maybe even if i'm i'm a, a clinical person right and I'm saying okay what how do you how would you even do this right like what does it look like if someone says that sounds awesome what would that even look like what would you i mean how did how did you i know obviously you kind of like figured it out as you went, but yeah. what would you say in terms of like, how do you even, how would this work?
0: Yeah. Well, I love that you asked that. Cause now I get to talk about my favorite thing in the whole world, which is what we've been talking about the whole time. <laughs> um, but you know, like to start that, how, how would we even start this? This is what I would say, you know, at first, a lot of times what churches tend to do, and I think this is fantastic by the way, but a lot of times what churches tend to do is they'll hire One additional staff member that has that clinical licensure, like this church did with me, because they're seeing that the church, you know, that there's really a high mental health need, or lots of people are needing couples counseling, or they're getting lots of requests for pastoral care, and they just can't handle the, you know, the quote unquote caseload. So they just really need to hire like a therapist to come on so they can take that off their shoulders. What tends to happen when churches do that, and that's fantastic to do, by the way, really good forethought. (laughs) What tends to happen though with that person that they've hired on is that person very quickly does not have capacity to meet with the volume of people who now want to meet in their own church with their now church therapist. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So that person becomes a referral service anyway. So that person, mm-hmm. what what tends to happen is that person will meet only with couples or they'll only do premarital or they'll meet with you someone maybe two times um, and then we'll just eventually refer them out anyway. So it's a beautiful thing to bring someone on staff who's a therapist who can handle some of the mental health needs, but they're becoming a referral service anyway. So with this particular program, how we uh, you know how we've kind of been selling this is, if your church is already in a situation where you'd like to hire on an ad- one additional staff member to be that uh, therapeutic member of the staff, then don't just hire one person. Let our nonprofit, Cumberland Counseling Centers, give you an entire staff based on what your community needs. So if your community needs four therapists, we can give you four therapists. If your community is kind of you know, really, really large, and there's not a whole lot of other things around you. Then maybe we can give you a staff of ten, but the price would never go any higher than what it would be if you were going to hire that one clinical staff person anyway. Um, so, like what yeah. what this church did with me is they hired me on, but I have kind of a problem of staying in my lane. I think I just get very excited about, <laughs> you know, what else we could do and stuff. And I start looking all over the place. And so they hired me on, but then we hired additional contracted employees as therapists and they make directly what their clients pay them. Right. But we have like there's a church that I've been speaking with in Arkansas and they kind of deemed this the clinic in the box approach because we have now, you know, a 70 page manual with policies and procedures and how everything can be done. Even templates for how to talk to someone when they, you know, send you that first initial email all the way to how to get them connected with our other therapists and kind of how to do that. We have everything so streamlined and so clear for how to make this work, including, you know, professionally, legally, and ethically, that we can just kind of give this to your church and Mm. the church your church Big C and little C your church and the Lord gets all the credit for the um, incredible resource that they're offering to the community but none of the liability because the the this particular nonprofit carries all the liability and then the you know counselors have their own liability insurance as well yeah
1: gosh that's so awesome
0: yeah it's like it's been I'll
1: say uh, on my side it's been really uh, fun to watch you know, when I came on board, it was like just kind of us doing our th- like you and me and the the others on the team there. And then to watch this dream kind of grow in you and, and all that has been pretty cool to kind of witness firsthand. So uh, yeah. it's, it's been really awesome. It
0: has been really awesome. It is definitely slow moving, um, especially with COVID and everything and churches. I think you actually were like you spoke this inspiration or not this inspiration, maybe this um, encouragement into my heart. But I think you said something like you need to just take heart because churches move so freaking slow. So don't give up, you know, like stay with it. Just remember that churches move really slow when they make decisions. I remember hearing you say that we were in our transitional space at the time and just like being able to breathe like, ah, oh, he's right. And that's what's going on. I just have to stick with it. <laughs> and now we yeah. have, we've replicated. We have a church uh, that's going to have a, a Cumberland Counseling Center starting in 2021 in January. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that's awesome. I also wanted to ask some about just you as a human, right? I know that you have been kind of blowing up Instagram recently in terms of, you know, a couple years ago where you would always say, oh, you have so many Instagram followers and now you've like blown me out of the water, right? And a lot of that has to do with just you being honest about your story and things like that. And it was mentioned briefly in your bio in terms of being a passionate adoption advocate, right? But can you tell us a little bit about kind of your story and what that's been like the past couple years, uh, obviously, to the extent that that you're comfortable and like wanting to share in this space.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's so funny that you say that, Robert, because I am such a newbie at social media and Instagram. And really, I just kind of make, I I always say I kind of make a fool of myself because I'm just extremely real on Instagram and show my face a lot and talk to people as if, you know, we're best buddies for years. That's that's all I'm doing. But if you go to my Instagram, (laughs) I think you'll probably laugh because I'm definitely a newbie at all of this, but thank you for for the encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. And it never feels like I'm any kind of pro, like everything feels like, I wonder if this will work. I wonder if people will relate to this, you know, but yeah, Yeah. definitely what I love to talk about is anything um, mental health and church and faith related but I also really love to talk about adoption and infertility. Um, my husband and I, so he's fine. He's pretty much A plus. He's A plus on everything. It's super annoying. He's fine. So there's nothing wrong with him. <laughs> there is there is something unknown um, that's going on in my body, and we can't really figure out what it is. Um, I did have surgery for endometriosis, but even that was only stage two out of four. Um, You know, all of my like hormones are normal. Um, I've even been meeting with a, um, they call it a napro technology doctor, which is basically a doctor that will look at every little tiny thing, like all the way down to your genes to rule absolutely everything out that could be making it difficult for you to get pregnant. And even my doctors at this point are scratching their head. Like you should be able to get pregnant. We have no idea what's wrong. So I am kind of that Advocate for unexplained infertility, and you know, lots of all the things that I try. I've been really um, open about what's working and what's not working, and you know, new things that I've tried and this and that. But yeah, I have had. Um, I, I we struggled with the unexplained infertility, which is so hard on the heart, by the way. But for three, yeah. three years, um, three and a half years, maybe before we met our son. And we met him at um, five days old and had 24 hours notice. (laughs) Hey, there's a baby born. Would you like this baby? And by the way, you have to tell us like right now. Um, Right. And he has this just incredible story. Um, He was born his biological mother. And I do want to be very careful with how I share his story because he hasn't given me consent to share all of it. But at the same time, I. There are so many people who are interested in adopting, but who feel like they can only adopt they can only adopt one type of situation, or that or that they're too afraid yeah. to adopt if anything went wrong in the pregnancy or anything like that. So I do like to share it, and then I think as he gets a little bit older, I'll make sure that I'm being really gentle with with what and how I share it. But he his biological mother was and is homeless and. Um, was addicted to heroin. And so when he was born, um, he was born dependent on heroin and he was born at five days. He was teeny tiny, obviously, you know, going through withdrawals and just in a ton of pain and uh, was already in the NICU, obviously for those five days. And then we had like two and a half more weeks in the NICU with him as he was weaning off and getting healthy. Um, So that part of his story is just incredible to me because he is now There is absolutely nothing wrong with him at all, cognitively or otherwise. And he's even a little bit advanced because we have him like in some part time daycares and things. And he's always been a little bit advanced in his class. So he's just this Hmm. phenomenal human being born under terrible circumstances. And I want to stand on a mountain and tell anybody who will listen, you know, that babies like the the most important thing is how trauma is responded to. It's not the trauma itself, mm. it's how trauma is responded to. And when babies born under trauma, born, you know, with trauma um, in utero, if a baby comes home to a home that can respond well to the baby's trauma and give it a lot of attention and care and exactly the kind of care that it needs based on that particular baby's trauma, the baby will be absolutely fine and And all of the research supports that. So I do love sharing his story.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. How has that been for y'all? And I know you know we could do a whole episode on this, obviously, but you mentioned how hard the infertility journey and then the adoption journey. And I know, Again, just just being friends and, and mm-hmm. knowing you for some of this, right? In terms of kind of mentally and emotionally for, you know, if anyone's listening, they say like, oh, we we are going through that or we know people who are, right? Like, mm-hmm. What would you say that experience has been like for y'all or would be helpful to know or, you know, here's what I would tell people in that, that experience or mm-hmm. I don't know, anything like that.
0: Yeah. Y'all going through this, if you're going through infertility, you know how- devastating infertility is. It is so hard Um, mentally, emotionally, relationally, everything. It's it's completely draining. Um, So much so that I have a couple of friends who have gone through infertility as well, and they've had to just quit their jobs because there is so much that a woman has to keep track of, that a woman literally has to track every single day. All the doctor's appointments, all the medical bills, all the invasive procedures—you know—it's a—it's a ton. It's so much for anyone to go through. And what's so weird and hard about infertility is, I think it's just—it's so hard to understand what a woman goes th- goes through with infertility and their counterpart uh, who may not be experiencing the infertility, but uh, but is because uh, you know because you are experiencing the infertility. If they haven't, if a friend of yours or a family member or something, someone who's listening to your story, if they haven't gone through it themselves, it's almost like there's no way of understanding the um, isolation, the loneliness, the burden, the mental weight. I just don't think there's any way of understanding unless you've gone through Mm. it. Because it's our bodies and because we're, you know females who want to carry who want to carry children and be able to being able to breastfeed and all of that and if you've been able to do that carry children and breastfeed and it's been no no big deal it's really hard to understand what it's like for your body to have no reason why it shouldn't be able to do that and it's just not doing that <laughs> i don't think i'm articulating yeah. this very well so just you know a little word of advice maybe for anybody who's going through it you know, and, and and you're like kind of right at the beginning of it, or maybe you've been in it for a while, you have got to get yourself a support system. You've got to get somebody that, you know, maybe that's an infertility specialized therapist. Maybe it's just a friend or somebody in your community who's gone through it. Um, maybe it's someone in a social media community, you know, who's gone through it, but you you really shouldn't go through it alone. It is way too much to bear on your own, especially if you are working full time and <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to live your life and be social. It's a lot. It's really heavy and hard. So that's one little yeah. piece of advice I would give. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, thank you so much for being on the show. I know it was so fun getting to talk to you in a, a little bit different of a way than than normally when we talk. And, you know, I have no doubt that it's been great for our listeners to to hear from you as well. you yeah want to connect with Alex, you can find her on Instagram at Alexandra Thompson underscore LCSW. Or on you can check out in the, the show notes. We'll toss the links for Cumberland Counseling as well as maybe your email if people have questions. How do you feel about that?
0: Oh, I would love that. Absolutely.
1: Um, so we'll do that. Holly is not here for this interview, but if you want to connect with her, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert or on any social media at robert robertvor. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners?
0: Oh, Robert, thank you so much for having me really this This feels like such a sweet honor that I got to sit with you in this way, this different way. I think the only thing that I just wanted to leave you guys with is if you have this feeling like your church, whether you work for a church or you go to a church, if you have this feeling like your church would do really well with a clinical counseling center or it's something that you've been tossing around please reach out to me. I would love to set up a Zoom conversation or a phone call with you and we can talk about how we might be able to outfit your church with a clinical counseling center. I would love to help you with that. I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com.